From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. An experienced physician with a public health background teamed up with her daughter, who's an academic historian of science and medicine, to write a book called Viral Pandemics from Smallpox to COVID-19. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Ray Ellen Cavey. She's a pediatric cardiologist who earlier in her career was part of the Upstate faculty, and her daughter, Allison Cavey, who's a professor in the history department at CUNY John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and she's also part of the Graduate Center as well. Welcome both of you to HealthLink on Air. Thank you. Thank you and, very much for having us. And since you're both Dr. Cavey, is it okay if I use your first names? Absolutely. All right, now before we talk about the content of the book, I wanted to know how this project began and how it was working together. Ray Ellen? Well, the book started with me because when I was newly retired in 2014, the uh, Ebola pandemic was really at its height and they were advertising constantly that they needed physicians to go. So I volunteered to go. And in the two weeks before I was rejected because I was too old, I read up a ton and realized first of, what, of all what a fascinating subject it was and also how little I knew about viral disease um, in a pandemic sense. So I just got really engaged with it. And even though I never was taken as a volunteer, I stayed engaged. And over time, that morphed into working with Allison at, as a, um, an adjunct professor at John Jay, teaching an undergraduate history course. So the two of us were sort of engaged with this over a couple of years. And then um, my husband said, you know, I think you might have a book here. And that was after many evenings of me going, you know, with yellow fever or during the polio pandemics. I mean, I just was fascinated and really engaged with this material. So that's how it started. Well, it is an interesting book. I, I read through. It's very engaging. Um, so, Allison, what was it like working with your mom on a project like this? How did you get involved? Well, I mean, it's always an honor to be Ray Allen's daughter. I think for those of us who grew up in Syracuse, it was um, a quite a remarkable thing to be the child, to be the daughter of a woman who was so smart and so accomplished and always so well-respected in her field and certainly a real role model for me. Um, being able to, I guess, in a little bit of a sense, teach her some history of medicine was really interesting. I Obviously, this is my field. Um, I specialize in Renaissance, but that doesn't mean I haven't taught every uh, iteration of the history of modern medicine that you can imagine. And so it was very interesting to see how we approach this topic differently. But in the end, our shared interest in public health, mine from the history of public health and hers, obviously, from the much more instrumental approach, is something that I think we share and certainly that I learned when I was a teenager sitting at the kitchen table doing my homework. So you know, really wonderful role model, and it was an honor, and it's always a pleasure to work with mom. Well, on the dedications page, one of the quotes you included uh, was in French from Louis Pasteur, and it translated to, gentlemen, it is the microbes who will have the last word. So what is that quote saying, and why did you choose it? That that was one that I picked. I, um, I came to understand, and I believe this fervently, right we're up to the present moment when we're engaged with COVID, that if you understand the virus that you're dealing with, you have 
so much, so much better chance of controlling the pandemic. And you, you, I'm sure we've all, we're living through this. So we've seen how knowledge has accrued over time, but in particular, you can just point to the difference in mortality early in the pandemic when doctors were struggling to know the virus and learn what might work to the present time when mortality has fortunately really decreased. But I really think there, there's, there's a nugget of critical information there. Well, it does seem like we're kind of learning as we go because um, we're only a year into this, really. Yeah, um, not even a year, not even a year. So are there things that you think we as a society have learned or maybe that we should have learned from previous viral pandemics that maybe would you know help us with this one? Allison, you want to answer that? I know you have strong feelings about this. So... One of the most compelling things for me about the history of modern medicine is the success of public health efforts. And there are two big ones that we look at in history of medicine. The first would be vaccination campaigns. That's the hero story of modern medicine, right? Identify the virus, figure out how to vaccinate against it, vaccinate large portions of the population, and then you have immunity. And a good vaccination campaign with follow through will produce significant levels of immunity and we know it's worked it's worked with measles it's worked with polio it's worked with smallpox my other public health message is stuff you can do at home for example wash your hands wear a mask when you're out uh don't go to gatherings i know everybody wants to spend time with their families right now but i'm afraid dr fauci is right we need to sort of stay home and and really spend the time uh, if we can over zoom or something like that to demonstrate a commitment to really ending this virus until we have effective vaccination efforts. Um, I would strongly recommend people who are interested in the history of medicine read about the 1918 flu epidemic because the cities that employed effective public health measures against that flu, they kept the numbers down. Look at St. Louis, look at Philadelphia, don't look at New York um, because New York City did a really bad job. So the more effective and complete public health efforts you can have, the more effective any place will be at limiting contagion. So you mentioned the 1918 flu. You have a whole chapter on the 1918 flu, uh, and it's I've heard it compared with the current pandemic. How do you how do you think it compares overall to what we're going through right now? Is it very similar? Well, it's similar in that the virus is mobile, um, you know, it's transmitted in the air and it's very easily um, infective from person to person. So those are two strong similarities. It's different in many other ways because the influenza virus is mutates constantly. And that was a large part of its presentation and has been a large part of the difficulty in creating the vaccine that Allison alluded to that would help us control it better. COVID so far has not been a rapid mutator. So that hasn't been a big part of the picture. But just to go back for a second, I would say there's a good example of what we learned. We learned about mutation and we learned about mutation in viruses from that influenza pandemic. That's how we found out that viruses mutate the way they do and how important that is in immunity. So that's just an example of how much you learn. Here, we're learning that COVID is a slow mutator, but it is mutating. And will the disease be worse? 
Will it be better? Will it be more infectious? Those are things that are going to, we're going to have to keep a close eye on going forward. And the second thing I want to say, uh, thank you, Allison, for bringing up the public health issues. Uh, one thing that I think we've done exceptionally badly with this pandemic is we have not communicated information well to the public. There have been many different voices. There's been no consistent message. And that makes it extremely hard for people to understand what they should do. And it's easy to stray away from something you might not want to do. So probably that's the thing I learned, mo have learned most from this pandemic so far is the, the importance of clear communication um, to, to all people who are involved. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with physician Rayellen Cavey and her daughter, who's a professor of history, Allison Cavey, and they have a new book out called Viral Pandemic from Smallpox to COVID-19. So your first chapter is about smallpox, and you start with a reminder of the anthrax attacks that happened right after September 11, 2001, uh, where 22 people were infected and five died after in contact with anthrax that was sent through the mail. What connection do you see between anthrax and smallpox? It's because smallpox is considered one of the number one potential bioterrorist weapons. And, um, Learning that was news to me, and uh, the anthrax attacks were the closest thing we have had to a bioterrorist attack here in the United States. So um, that whole section goes on beyond the anthrax attacks to talk about how um, we as a nation have a whole reserve for dealing with bioterrorism. And smallpox is in the top four of, of the agents there. And smallpox, correct me if I'm wrong, but that had been a threat for centuries before the vaccine was developed, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, it, it's been, it was considered the scourge of for many, many centuries. Allison can speak to that better than I. Um, before the campaign to eradicate it, which you know was actually just just occurred in the in the 1970s. So it was a really a, a problem all over the world up until the, the um, extermination campaign. Well, your book points out that emerging infectious diseases since 1940, 60% of them are what is known as zoonotic. Maybe I'm saying that incorrectly. No, um, no. Can you tell us what that is and why it's worrisome? Well, I, I think it reflects the other major thing I learned uh, in writing the book, and that is how important global interconnectedness is in the emergence of all of these pandemics. And um, the, when we talk about animals living closer to humans, we're talking about the explosion in global population. We're talking about people living closer and closer to animals, to the natural habitats of animals, and therefore viruses that arise in animals have the opportunity to jump over and infect humans. And when they say 60% arose in uh, animals, it's actually since the year 2000, all of the, the pandemics we have had have been viruses that jumped from animals to humans. Are you talking about domestic animals, dogs and cats? Or are you talking about farm animals? No, almost always they're wild animals um, who come in contact with people through an unusual circumstance. For example, Ebola is uh, is carried by bats. They're the natural reservoir for the virus. 
um, but people come in contact with with that if they're if they have have contact with a bat. That's not so common. But if hunters who have uh, have have killed an animal that was in contact with a bat, that the virus can be transferred at the time the animal is butchered if the um, hunter has the smallest cut in his skin. Ebola is probably the most um, infectious virus we have. It, if you if just the smallest amount of virus will cause infection. So just a tiny cut in the skin or, you know, Ebola workers, people who are taking care of sick patients, very easy for them to become infected it's through minor, minor skin abrasions through their eyes, anything, any contact with the virus will, will infect you. Well, it's a very interesting book. Before we wrap up, though, let me ask each of you, how do you envision, based on the research that you've spent looking into, um, you know, viral pandemics, how do you envision the current pandemic ending and how soon? Allison? I think there are three vaccinations now that are looking very promising. They're coming through trials with very high success rates. And those have been really rigorous trials. Nobody is suggesting that the clinical trials have not been significantly rigorous. So my hope is that by the spring, we should have sufficient doses of that to begin a very strong international vaccination campaign. My concern is that in America in particular, but throughout the world, there are concerns, mostly unfounded, about the safety of vaccines. And so my hope is that this new administration in America will join forces with international health organizations to promote vaccination as a public health and personal health effort so that people will adopt this simple, helpful, safe strategy for protecting themselves against this disease and every disease. I'm so concerned. I actually teach a whole class on vaccination um, and why it's so important. And my students are sometimes coming in with an anti-vaccination approach. And ho hopefully by the time they finish the class, they understand the science enough behind the vaccination campaigns to know why it's so important to vaccinate themselves and their children. Um, in terms of timeline, I guess I'm a little bit cautious. I know uh, people are talking about maybe April or May. I'm thinking a full year from now before we see this fully controlled just because of adoption rates and public health behaviors. So I would hope that by October or November of 2021, this will no longer be the worldwide epidemic. That doesn't mean I don't think there will be another one. And my hope is that people will be pro-public health, they'll be educated by this epidemic. My concern is that people, especially in this country, seem to think of independence as a means of expressing their political opinion in a public health way. And public health should not be a political football. It's so important that we contribute to the health of the country and the world by cooperating, by playing nicely together so that we can actually all go outside and play nicely together again, um, preferably before I think that will be likely. <laughs> so Ray Ellen, you think also the vaccine is the key to wrapping this up? Yeah, I think a combination of people getting infected so we are developing an immune population naturally, slowly, but steadily, and then people getting in, uh, vaccinated eventually will reach a point where there aren't any, um, there aren't enough people who have no protection against this virus for it to survive. Viruses can't live without a host. So if, our, if we have too many people who are immune, 
the virus will die out, and that's our hope. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Ray Ellen Cavey and Dr. Allison Cavey, authors of Viral Pandemics from Smallpox to COVID-19. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.